This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Before we begin today's episode, I'd like to take a moment to talk about dogs. Dogs have been an important part of Canadian history from the very beginning. The first dogs to arrive in Canada came from Siberia over 12,000 years ago. They were used for hunting, pulling sleds, and as companions for the indigenous people who made their way across the Bering Strait. In the 17th century, European settlers brought dogs with them as well. And like the indigenous people, they relied on their dogs for companionship, hunting, and protection. Dogs have been some of Canada's most beloved heroes. In 1909, a Labrador retriever named Polar Bear helped the explorer Robert Perry reach the North Pole. In 1916, Canadians were captivated by the story of Bruno, a sheepdog who was rescued from war-torn Europe and refused to eat after his person passed away. In 1941, a Newfoundland named Gander saved the lives of several Canadian soldiers during the Battle of Hong Kong. Over the centuries, dogs have served Canadians in an ever-expanding variety of ways. Today, they work in law enforcement, detect cancer and COVID, help find missing children, and enable the blind to get around. But for most Canadians, dogs are much more than just working animals. Their loyalty, friendship, and unconditional love have made them part of our families. Countless dogs are beloved characters in Canadian art and film. Their stories have been told by such noteworthy authors as Farley Mowat, Lucy Maud Montgomery, and Stephen Leacock. They can make us laugh, they comfort us, they remind us of our better angels, of what our character could be, and perhaps that is why we love them so much. Which brings me to my puppy, Boris. Boris is a 10-year-old Irish setter, Newfoundland cross, the same breed as Gander, actually. Recently, he began hacking up his food. His bark became raspy, and he's having trouble breathing deeply, so I took him to see the vet. Boris has the canine version of Lou Gehrig's disease. His spinal cord will slowly degenerate, and over the next one to three years, he will progressively lose control of the muscles he uses to play, bark, eat, and breathe. There is no cure, and the cause remains unknown, but there is a way to slow it down. With the laryngeal paralysis, Boris needs surgery. Without it, his constricted larynx will get worse faster, and he may pass away in only a few months. The problem is the surgery costs $5,000, which is well beyond what I can afford. So I'm asking for your help. I've set up a GoFundMe to pay for the vet. If you'd like to contribute, just click the link for Boris Fundraiser in my show notes. And if you've donated already, thank you. If you've shared, thank you as well. Thank you for helping us get a few more precious years together. 
because it means the world to us both. And I want to say a very special thank you to Andrew. What I just read was written by him. He's a fantastic copywriter, and he was able to do this for me so that I could get the word out on my dog. So if you want to visit his website, go to sublimelime.ca, and that's two limes. That's sublimelime.ca. Before we start, I want to say thank you to Leslie Y., who donated to the podcasts. I truly appreciate that. Thank you so much. And right now, all donations, all Patreon support goes to fund my puppy dog surgery. So I truly, truly appreciate it. Thanks. Today, he is known as the namesake for the Art Ross Trophy, awarded to the highest scorer in terms of points in the NHL. The irony is, the man who it's named for, Art Ross, only played three games in the NHL and only scored one point, a goal, in 1917-18. That being said, the impact of Art Ross on hockey history is immense, and there is a reason he's in the Hockey Hall of Fame. Art Ross was born January 13, 1885 in Naunton, Ontario. One of ten children, nine sons and one daughter, his family moved around as his father worked for the Hudson's Bay Company. In 1876, they would settle at a trading post near Whitefish Lake in northern Ontario that was far from civilization, requiring the family to journey 370 kilometers twice a year for supplies. It was at this trading post that Ross first learned how to skate by going out on a nearby lake. He would also learn to speak English, French, and various indigenous languages, including Ojibwe. When Ross was seven, the family moved to Lac Saint-Jean, and three years later, his mother left his father and moved back to Ontario with her younger children. She would marry Peter Mackenzie, the chief factor of the Hudson's Bay Company in the region, and they would settle in Montreal in 1896. It was in Montreal that Ross began to play more sports, becoming skilled in rugby and hockey. His first organized hockey game was played there as well in 1901 when he played for the Westmount Amateur Athletic Association. In the club were two brothers who would have a massive impact on hockey history, Lester and Frank Patrick. Ross and Lester Patrick would set up a ticket resale business at the Montreal Arena as well when they would buy tickets for 35 cents and sell them for a dollar. Ross and the Patrick brothers soon began to gain renown for their abilities on the ice, and by 1905, Ross was playing for the Montreal Westmount in the Canadian Amateur Hockey League, the top league in the country. In 1904-05, his last season with the team, he played eight games and scored ten goals, creating the image of a rushing defenseman. At the time, most defensemen shot the puck down the ice or passed it to a forward. Ross chose to take it himself. The Montreal star wrote, quote, Griffiths at point and Art Ross on the forward line were largely responsible for the success of their team both playing exceptionally fine hockey, end quote. The following season, he moved to Brandon, Manitoba, where he got a job at a bank. With the Brandon Wheat City team, he played seven games and scored six goals. In 1907, the Kenora Thistles, a team I covered on the show last year, wanted to win the Stanley Cup and defeat the juggernaut Montreal Wanderers. Ross, being one of the top players of his day, was offered $1,000 to play two games. He would accept it, as it was equivalent to being paid $30,000 today. It paid off not only in terms of money for Ross, but professionally too, as he won his first Stanley Cup with the team that year. 
Despite his high pay, he would have no points in the two games. Back with Brandon the following season, he had 6 goals and 3 assists in 10 games. The next season, he was back to Montreal and played for the Montreal Wanderers in the Eastern Canada Amateur Hockey Association. The Montreal Gazette wrote, quote, Art Ross, the ex-West Mountain Victoria player who was Brandon's star last year and one of the Kenora Seven who brought the Cup West after the series with the Wanderers, arrived in Montreal yesterday morning. Ross came through from Toronto with the Montreal football team and was questioned on all sides as to which club he was going to play with, Wanderers or Montreal. Ross gave an evasive answer, end quote. Ross would help the team finish first with his eight goals in ten games, and he helped the team retain the Stanley Cup in the process. He became, as a result, the second player in Stanley Cup history to win the Stanley Cup in consecutive years with two different teams. After Hodge Stewart, a teammate, died in the summer of 1907, Ross participated in the first All-Star game in sports history, which would be held to benefit the family of Stewart. In 1909, Ross was being paid $1,200 by the Wanderers, double the average salary for a hockey player at the time. In November of that year, the Canadian Hockey Association was formed, and this new league, in which the all-Montreal hockey club would hire Ross to serve as a player manager. The league would fold by January 1910, but in his four games, he had four goals. Ross, of course, was not unemployed long, as the Haleberry Comets of the National Hockey Association signed him. He would receive $2,700 to play from January to March, in which he scored 6 goals in 12 games. As salaries were getting high for the time, the NHA imposed a salary cap of $5,000 per team. Ross, among others, was not happy about this. He would write to the Montreal Herald and state, quote, All the players want is a fair deal. The players are not trying to bulldoze the NHA, but we want to know where to get off at, end quote. Ross and others wanted to form their own league without a salary cap, but this failed as they realized they would have to rent arenas from the NHA owners. Before the 1913-14 season, Ross refused to sign for the Wanderers, asking for a salary increase. The Wanderers agreed to his request for $1,500 to play for the team, and he had 9 points in 18 games. The next season, Ross began to work with the other players in the NHA to leave their teams and form the new league. Emmett Quinn, president of the NHA, then suspended him. Ross, in turn, then declared himself a free agent, stating his Wanderers contract was not valid. Quinn then suspended Ross from all organized hockey, something he had no power to do so. When the new league could not get off the ground, Ross asked to be reinstated to the NHA. The owners in the league, realizing that if they suspended Ross, they had to suspend all the players he had signed to his new league, decided it was easier to just let Ross back into the league. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. No longer playing for the Wanderers, Ross first trained with the Montreal Canadiens and then joined the legendary Ottawa Senators. In 1914-15, the Senators and Wanderers finished first in the league and a two-game series was held to determine the league champion who would play against the Vancouver Millionaires for the Stanley Cup. 
Ross would help the Senators win the series through an innovative defensive method he came up with. It involved having three defenders align themselves across 30 feet of ice in front of the goaltender to stop rushes up the ice. This would become widely used in the mid-1990s and early 2000s and became known as the Neutral Zone Trap. The team, though, unfortunately did not win the Stanley Cup against Vancouver. On April 14, 1915, Ross married Muriel Kay, and together they would have two sons, Arthur Jr. and John. One can associate the residential school system with tuberculosis and tuberculosis with the residential school system. We had indigenous parents, communities, students, church employees, teachers, and individuals who are part of Indian Affairs, like Dr. Peter Henderson Bryce, giving their critiques in their own time. People hid when the tuberculosis screening came to their communities because they knew that the result of getting screened was that they, they could be taken away. I believe a lot of people were used, government officials who just thought they were doing the right thing. They were doing what they were told. First Nations, Métis, and Inuit peoples are already told our story. It's now time to tell the other side of the story. We need to take a serious look at the parts of the system from the past that we may be replicating today. I'm Maya Foster Sanchez, and this is the story of a national crime. Coming this fall, follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. The next season, Ross had 16 points in 21 games and was the second highest paid player on the team, making $1,400. Once the season was done, he left to go back to Montreal so he could manage his sporting goods store, and he played once again for the Wanderers. His sporting goods store had actually opened in 1908 and would run for decades. The Vancouver Daily World wrote, quote, Art Ross, the veteran hockeyist who bought his release from Ottawa at noon yesterday, signed with the Wanderers here. Ross signed for a consideration of $1, leaving the amount of his salary to be decided later. End quote. When the Wanderers, Canadians, Quebec Bulldogs, Senators, and Toronto Arenas joined the new NHL, Ross became the coach of the Wanderers and played in the first NHL game ever on December 19, 1917. He would also earn the first penalty in NHL history. On January 2, 1918, the Wanderers Arena burned to the ground, and the team folded after only four games. With the team now gone, Ross retired as a player and began a decades-long managerial career. In his hockey career, he had his greatest success with the NHA, where he had 72 points, including 56 goals in 131 games. In July of the same year he retired, he would be in a serious motorcycle accident. His nephew Hugh Ross would suffer a fractured skull and died in hospital. As for Ross, he only had a few bruises and scratches. The Edmonton Journal reported, quote, each was riding his own machine, and according to the story told to Dr. Colin Ross of Montreal, Hugh Ross was in advance of the others, and trying to avoid a rig on the road, Hugh Ross swerved his machine and was thrown violently to the ground, fracturing his skull. End quote. After working as a referee, Ross became the coach of the Hamilton Tigers, but the team finished last, and he did not return the following year. In 1924, when a Boston team was admitted to the NHL, Charles Adams hired Ross as his vice president, general manager, coach, and scout. Adams asked Ross to come up with a nickname that portrayed a cunning, agile, and fast animal. Ross decided to name the team the Boston Bruins. Using his ample hockey connections, Ross began to sign players from across Canada and the United States. 
Despite his efforts, the team won only 6 games out of 30 in its first season, making it the worst in league history to that point. The team's losing streak from December 8, 1924 to February 17, 1925 was the longest in NHL history until 2004. But the team rebounded the next season, winning 17 games out of 36. It was in 1926 that the Western Hockey League was folding and the Patrick brothers, his old friends, were selling players from the five teams for $300,000. Ross knew there was a wealth of talent in the league, and he would sign Eddie Shore, Cecil Tiny Thompson, Ralph Wieland, and Cy Denany. All four would wind up in the Hockey Hall of Fame, and Eddie Shore would become one of the greatest players to ever play the game. He also brought in Spray Cleghorn, the legendary tough player who would mentor the young Eddie Shore. Sprague said in McLean's in 1935 of joining the team, quote, Ross was my old friend since school days. I knew nothing of Charles F. Adams then, but I didn't know that Art Ross was the white-haired boy in his hockey enterprise. I made my deal with Ross for $5,500 and living expenses for the season, and Charles Adams accepted the terms without a murmur, end quote. Prior to the start of the season, he would also develop a style of goal net with a B-shape that was better designed to catch pucks. This style of net, designed by Ross, would be used until 1984, when a modified version was adopted. He also improved on the hockey puck, creating it with bevel edges to prevent bouncing and used synthetic rubber rather than natural rubber. On November 20, 1928, the Bruins played in their new arena, the Boston Garden, and quickly began to improve with their stacked roster. The season was difficult for Ross, though, as he had intestinal trouble that left him missing the last third of the season. Cleghorn would write in 1935, quote, Art was a very sick man. He could not possibly leave his bed, and the active management of the team was turned over to me for the balance of the season. While Ross was flat on his back, under my personal leadership, the Bruins that winter won nine games, tied one, lost one, end quote. That same winter, Cleghorn would visit Ross daily in his apartment to check on him. Ross told Cleghorn that he would do something for him to say thank you, assuring him that in the event of a sale to another club, he would do his best to see to it that Cleghorn received the amount of the purchase price. Cleghorn wrote, quote, There is no written agreement between us and no contract to that effect between the Boston Hockey Club and myself. It was a verbal understanding, end quote. Later that year, Cleghorn was put on waivers and his contract was bought by Newark for $5,000. Cleghorn wrote, quote, I believe myself entitled to receive that amount from Boston, and I so believe today. I never saw a cent of that money, and that is why Art Ross and Sprague Cleghorn, close friends for 25 years, today just say hello as they pass, End quote. In 1929, the Bruins won the Stanley Cup, and in the 1929-30 season, Ross guided the team to 38 wins in 44 games, a record at the time. The .875 winning percentage of the team continues to be a record. From December 3, 1929 to January 9, 1930, the team won every game, the longest streak in NHL history until 1982. There was one hiccup in 1928-29 when Con Smythe traded Bill Carson to Boston midway through the season for $20,000. In his two seasons with Toronto, he had 39 points in 56 games, but in his two seasons with Boston, he had 17 points in 63 games. And while Carson scored the Stanley Cup winning goal for the Bruins, Ross was unhappy with the trade. 
McLean's wrote in 1932, quote, It was Smythe who traded the decrepit Bill Carson to Boston, and that wily old fox Art Ross, who would rather lose money in a poker game than be outsmarted in a hockey deal, has never forgiven Smythe for that sly trick. End quote. Ross and Smythe would never speak again. On March 26, 1931, Ross took his goalie, Tiny Thompson, off the ice in the final minute of play and put out a sixth skater to replace him. And while the team lost 1-0, this was the first time an extra attacker had been used in NHL history, which is now standard practice in the NHL. The Windsor Star wrote, quote, During the final minute, manager Art Ross resorted to an amazing maneuver. In a final desperate scoring attempt, he pulled his goalie out of the game and replaced him with a forward. The Bruins kept the puck inside the enemy territory until the final bell, but the flying Frenchman's stubborn defense cannot be cracked, and they held their one nothing margin. End quote. In 1934, Ross stepped aside as coach to focus on managing the team, and he hired his friend Frank Patrick with an annual salary of $10,000 to coach the team. Unfortunately, off-ice issues and a poor winning record meant that Ross relieved Patrick of his duties after the 1936 playoffs and once again returned to coaching. That year, Ross signed Bobby Bauer, Woody Dumar, and Milt Schmidt, all three Hall of Famers who formed the legendary Kraut line. In 1937-38, this team would win another Stanley Cup, and Milt Schmidt would go on to become one of the greatest players to ever play the game. But the Second World War would decimate the roster, as his entire top line went off to fight in the war, but he still kept his team in contention initially. The team would miss the playoffs in 1943-44, but return to the playoffs the following year. At the end of the 1954 season, Ross retired from the team, having coached and managed the team off and on for almost 30 years by that point. As a coach from 1917-18 to 1944-45, with a few gaps in between various years, he coached the Wanderers, Tigers, and Bruins. In 19 seasons as a coach, his teams finished first eight times and second twice. He had 394 wins, 313 losses, and 95 ties in 802 games, helping his teams win three Stanley Cups in 1928-29, 1938-39, and 1940-41. Along with the developing the modern hockey puck and a better goal net, Ross developed the red line with Frank Boucher to speed up the game, which was used until 2006 when the rules changed to allow two-line passes to increase scoring. In 1947, his two sons donated the Art Ross Trophy, which is now awarded to the leading scorer in the regular season. And in 1949, Ross was named to the Hockey Hall of Fame. On December 2, 1949, prior to a Bruins game, he was given his Hall of Fame scroll in a silver tray with the emblems of the six NHL teams on it. The Montreal Gazette wrote, quote, Art Ross, who was kind to hockey and found that it was kind to him in return, has been elected to the Hockey Hall of Fame. He could have had that honor several years ago, but refused it because he was already a governor, end quote. On August 5, 1964, Ross died at a nursing home in Boston at the age of 79. The Montreal Star wrote, quote, Death came to the former player, referee, coach, and manager in the city where he contributed most to the National Hockey League. Modern hockey owes much to Uncle Art Ross, a man whose practical vision of hockey's greatness never dimmed. End quote. 
His team, Boston, was at the bottom of the league, but only three years later, his former star player, Milt Schmidt, orchestrated trades that would bring in new star players as Bobby Orr joined the league, leading the Bruins back to greatness. In 1984, Ross would be awarded the Lester Patrick Trophy for his contributions to hockey in the United States. I hope you enjoyed that episode and our look at Art Ross. Next week, we're looking at the Montreal Wanderers. If you like, you can email me at craig at canadaehx.com. You can find me on Twitter. My handle is Craig Baird, C-R-A-I-G-B-A-I-R-D, and I'm on Instagram at Bairdo37. As well, again, if you want to support the podcast, you can for as little as $3 a month. Just go to patreon.com slash canadaehx. And you can donate to the podcast by going to canadaehx.com and clicking donate. And I also want to thank all of my wonderful patrons. And I apologize if I get any names incorrect. Martin Strache. Sarah White, Tom McMillan, Mike Sullivan, Wendy Mills, Keelan Pringnitz, Michael Matthews, Joanna Parker, Jeff Dahl, Vobbs, Robert Page, Richard T., Colin Johnson, Jeff Hershey, Kyle Murray, Steve Pakin, Matthew Gartho, Lionel Romaine, Dr. Bob Turner, Randy Hayden, Doug Campbell, Reg W., Deborah Carlson, Francis Helbling, Nixon Ree, Shannon Marshall, Clinton Martinez, Dimitri Chauve, Aaron O'Hara-Myers, Robert Dunseith, Todd Casey, Catherine Rois, Luke S., J.P. Bear, Jason Hall, Phil Maynard, and Iris Gray. Information from Hockey Hall of Fame, Greatest Hockey Legends, Canadian Encyclopedia, McLean's Wikipedia, Windsor Star, Montreal Star, Montreal Gazette, and the Vancouver Daily World. Thanks, and we'll see you again next time.